Good morning again. I got a couple of greetings. That makes me feel better. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to give you a bit of an insight into pastors. We're some of the most insecure people in the world. So when we, we anticipate responses and we don't get one, we feel very small. So let me try again. Um, good morning. Man, I feel so much better. Okay. So, well, this morning uh, we are going to be in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We're going to be looking at several verses here in Mark 6, but also I need you to find the book of Ezekiel as well, because we're going to be jumping there uh, for a fairly large section of Scripture that I think is really important for us to look at, and that'll be chapter 34 of Ezekiel. So, uh, Mark chapter 6. 30 through 44, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a black hardback around you. It'll be on page 790 of that hardback Bible. Uh, also, if you're kind of new with us and we, we don't really know who you are, you don't really know who we are, then we ask you to take one of those connection cards that are there in front of you, fill it out, drop it in the offering later. Uh, if you have prayer requests or questions, anything like that, fill out that card uh, and we can try to answer those and, and get with you this week and talk about those things. Uh, this morning, the, the story that we have in front of us, it is a story that's uh, recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, this miracle that's here, it's recorded in all four Gospels, which is unique. There's only two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels, and the other miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels is the resurrection of Jesus. So you, you see the significance, right? If it's recorded in all four Gospels, this must mean that this miracle that we see today is significantly important because all the gospel writers, these four gospel writers, decided this is one of those miracles that everybody needs to know. Everybody needs to know not just this story. Now, a lot of times when we hear this story, the feeding of the 5,000, we simply think of that's all that's really happening here, that Jesus just multiplies some bread and some fish and everybody goes home happy. That is a very shallow view of this story. And so hopefully today you're going to see that there's a lot more here. Now, recently, our staff, along with some other members from our church, we went to Dallas, in the Dallas area, to the Right Now Media Conference. And if you don't have a Right Now Media account, you can get that through the church. All we need is your email, so you can fill that out on the back of the card as well and drop them in the offering, and we'll get you connected to Right Now Media. And so we went to the conference. Uh, we were there for just uh, it's about two days in total. And on Thursday of that day, um, we had a lunch, and they provided that lunch. And it was a nice little lunch. It was just a, a box that had, some, uh, had a sandwich and some chips and a bottle of water and even a cookie, which is my favorite part of it. And so there's about 2,800 people at this conference, and everybody gets a lunch that's at this conference. Now, you know what I didn't see at the conference was anybody standing there when they walk into the gym with, with the, like 3,000 box lunches, and somebody just standing there in awe of like, where did these come from? Nobody did that. Now, if somebody did, obviously I wasn't in the room when that happened. It wasn't a, a place of amazement or marvel for anybody. We were like just cattle walking behind each other, picking up our lunch and back out of the room. And nobody stood there just in amazement of where this food came from. And part of the reason is because it was labeled on the side of the box where it came from. There's also about 20 of these delis that this, that this food came from in, in a very quick driving distance of this church where we were at. So nobody stood there in amazement of, I wonder where this came from. I wonder, was it the pastor of this, of this church? Was it the conference leader? 
Nobody stood there wondering, where did these meals come from? And this is very significant to our story today because the passage that we have here in Mark, it involves a large group of people, as it says there in verse 44, if you look at the very last verse, it says, those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So in Mark's account, we have 5,000 men that had eaten this meal, but in Matthew's account of this, he alludes to or insinuates that there's many more people than this. And some scholars think there's probably 20 to maybe 25,000 people in total, men, women, children that are there that are taking part of this miracle. And this is no small group of people. I mean, 2,800 people is is a large number to try to feed in, in just a short amount of time. And so imagine... 5,000, 20,000, 25,000 people that Jesus is going to feed in this. And the amazement and the marvel that is there connected to this whole story. And what's really interesting about this whole story is that there was no deli close by. There was this man who people had been following around the, the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and this one man didn't bring any food with him. What an amazing story that we have. And so let me take you to verse 30, and we're going to read this in its entirety and kind of walk through kind of four things that are here that I think are important. And so look at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give, them, uh, and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they, look, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, this event, it takes place towards the end of Jesus' ministry in the area of Galilee. And and this is significant as well. If we remember back to the earlier part of chapter 6, where Jesus is in Nazareth, his hometown, he's rejected. He sends out his disciples. And then we have the story of John the Baptist being rejected and his execution. And now we have this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 And this is one of the last things that happens here, and this might be part of the reason why all the authors of the gospel decided this is an important part, because this is kind of like the the final words, the final words of Jesus to this region, to these people. And 
we see that, uh, or that you would really know, you probably don't know, but uh, there's about 200 cities, villages, towns that are around the Sea of Galilee at this point. And these would be the villages, the cities, the towns that the disciples were dispersed to, to go and to preach the gospel to, to go and heal people in, to cast out demons in these places. And these disciples, they were doing the same thing that Jesus was doing. This was their mission and now they've come back. Now, we don't know how long exactly that they were gone. With about 200 uh, towns, villages, cities, it would have been probably a significant amount of time because there was only six groups that went out. And they return here, and we see this in verse 30. <clears throat> verse 30 tells us that their, their journey, uh, all of their journeys have ended now. They've come back to the centralized location that Jesus is at. And, this <clears throat> and these stories that are included here um, this one story that we have in front of us is connected to really all these, all these other journeys that they'd had. And it's, it's coming down to this one point. And so this debriefing that's happening with Jesus and his disciples is an important part of development. It's, a, it's an important part of training people. And having a time to debrief on what you've been doing and to be encouraged by leadership and to stay in the fight, to keep going. These are all things that Jesus is doing with them in verse 30. And this is one of the reasons why we have a thing called life groups. Because we want to encourage you. We want you to be involved in these kind of groups to debrief, to think about Sunday morning's message, to be encouraged by one another with God's word. We want to give you a place where you can share what's been going on, share not just, not just the struggles of your life, but, but the, the wins, the victories that you've had of talking to that coworker, of sharing the gospel with people. And these are all parts of what make up life groups. And so if you are not part of a life group, then we would invite you to to fill out a sheet right over here in the Welcome Center. And again, hand that to a staff member or elder. Or again, if you can get into the offering, um, do that. And we will connect you to a life group. Because it's so important for us to debrief, to think through what's really happened. What's been happening through our week. And so we are offering a place uh, to do that in people's homes. And these disciples, they are, are having this kind of discussion. They're, they're telling stories, and I'm sure there's a variety of things that they're, that they're sharing with Jesus from the wins, the losses, the good, the bad, the ugly, all those things. And then we see that Jesus wants them to get away. And what we'll see throughout this text is that Jesus is a provider. He is a provider. And he's not merely just a meal ticket provider. And a lot, of, a lot of people think that this is what the story is mainly about, is just providing food for people. No, we will witness in this that Jesus provides several different things. And it starts right here with verse 30 and 31, where Jesus tells them that they need rest. So the first, the first thing Jesus provides is rest for his disciples, specifically for his disciples. And it says that in verse 31, where it says, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Now, they'd been working very hard on their journey. Jesus had warned them that it's not going to be pleasant. Uh, he had even restricted them on what they could take. And Jesus knows how difficult of a task it is. He, he knows um, the rejection that they're feeling because he himself was rejected. And so he knows that rest is important. It's something that needs to take place. But I want you to notice something about verse 30 and about this whole storyline 
is that whenever Jesus sent them out, he restricted what they could take with them, but all of them made it back. Did you notice that? All of them came back, even though they probably thought, how are we going to survive if we don't have these things? And we, we don't have that in the text of, of what maybe the discussion was between Jesus and the disciples about not taking those things. Maybe they just went ahead without arguing or, or talking about it, but I would almost guarantee you that they're uh, paired up going on their journey going, why couldn't we take our money belt? Why couldn't we take an extra cloak? They probably had this discussion. But notice that all 12 of them made it back. None of them were lost. They all came back to Jesus. They all survived. And maybe, maybe there was all kinds of doubts. Maybe not. And maybe you even doubt in your situation, in your, your circumstance, I don't think I'm going to make it. I don't think God's going to come through. Let this be a lesson to you. You'll make it. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it through this. And God is proving, Jesus is proving to them that God's the provider in all things. He's the one that's going to provide for them, and God has brought them back safely. Now, that doesn't mean that their journey was perfect and without blemish, without problem, but they were brought back to Jesus safely. So this hard mission that these guys were on, um, it, it was very difficult, very draining on them. And so Jesus then instructs them here in verse 31 to take some time off. And Jesus is going to lead them to a desolate place, desolate place. Now, the, the word that's used here in the ESV is the word desolate. In the King James, they use the word desert. Um, desert is probably not the best translation for this word, even though the Greek would, would show that either one would work. But into the context here, uh, a desert place does not really fit because of verse 39. If you notice in the verse 39, it says that the people sat down on what? Green grass, which I've never seen a desert with green grass. And so the, the idea of desert doesn't really fit. So it's a desolate place, meaning that it's an uninhabited place. It doesn't have people there. There's no city there. This wasn't a resort that Jesus is taking them to, like the Sandals Resort or something like. They're just going to chill out and all expense paid trip. Like, this is not what they were doing. They were going to a place where they were going to be free from the demand of people. They were going to be free to really recharge and not be drained. And when you're drained physically, what do you also find? You find yourself drained emotionally mentally, spiritually. We, we find ourselves completely drained in all these areas when we allow ourselves to be worn down physically. And so it's important for these disciples and for us to have rest. It's very important for us to find a place where we can take some time, where we can debrief, we can spend time alone with God. And so we have to be proactive in this. This is not something that somebody else is going to schedule into your day, right? Like, nobody else is going to be like, you know what? I'm going to help you take some time off, and I'm going to give you a block of time. Like, that's not usually how my week works. Usually people are like, no, I need more of your time. I need more of this from you. And so we have to be proactive in setting aside time where we turn off our phone, where we turn off the Wi-Fi, where we turn off the TV, where we become unreachable from people so that we can spend time away in time with God in time with Jesus. And it's a time that we find real rest. 
And so this idea of rest, it's a biblical concept in which you should practice and you need to build into your life and whatever that looks like for your life. Maybe, maybe it's on different days of the week for you. Maybe it's at different times. Maybe it's just a, a time out of the month that you take. But it's important for us to practice this. And Jesus is telling his disciples, come away, get alone, get away from these people. And so they attempt at doing this, and I emphasize the word attempt as we read the story the, the popularity of Jesus, and it also says here in this, them, they recognize them. So the popularity of the disciples now is preventing this from really happening. And we see this in verse 33. It says, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now, th- think of this moment, right? Think of this moment. You get back from this journey, you are wore out. Jesus says, hey guys, great job. Let's go to this desolate place where nobody's going to be and uh, let's just have some time away from people. Now, what's interesting in the story is from the moment that they take out on this boat, people start chasing them, right? But they don't chase them in boats, they chase them on the shore. And can you imagine how disheartening this would be to be one of the disciples? You're on this boat and you're like, oh, finally a break. And then you look over to the shore and there's this herd of people running after you and you know what they're running for and some think that it was probably about four miles of what they traveled on the water and probably about eight miles on the shoreline of what these people ran to get to where Jesus and the disciples landed can you imagine for four miles thinking oh I just want a break just get me away from these people And what's interesting in this whole story is that this probably fairly large group of people that were there probably at this place where Jesus was when the disciples came back, it ballooned quickly into thousands. Not just like a handful of people, but thousands of people. What a a disheartening thing to watch. And people are pouring out of towns, they're pouring out out of villages to follow along with this herd of people, this crowd of people to get something from Jesus. Now, what would be your response? What would be your response in that situation if you were one of the disciples? Would you be like, hey, Jesus, let's just take a left here? Like, let's just, let's go the other direction? Like, let's just turn that sail row a little bit this other direction? Like, let's, let's just make these people keep running until they get tired? Like, you just do some circles out on the water, and they're like, ah, give up. That's not what happens. We would probably, I would, complain, grumble, why? Because my vacation's being interrupted. Now, probably most of us would be a little upset, wouldn't we? We'd probably be a little agitated, to say it nicely, that these people won't leave us alone. But look at the response of Jesus to this crowd in verse 34. And when he, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had what? Compassion on them. He had compassion on them. Now, why does he have compassion on them? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. These people had ran all the way around the lake, or at least part of the lake, to get to this place, to see something from Jesus, to get something from Jesus. And it's likely that they weren't running to get to this point so they could hear a great exposition on the book of Isaiah from Jesus. They wanted something from him. They wanted to see something that he would do. But notice in this passage, it says that Jesus doesn't have disdain for their shallowness. 
He's not angry at them because they just wanted things from him. What does he do? He welcomes them. He has compassion on them. Even though they are shallow in their thinking, even though they're shallow in their thoughts, he's not angry with them, but he feels compassion on them. Now, why is this his response to them? Well, if, if you know anything about Jesus, you know anything about the Gospels, and you know anything about the Gospel of John, Jesus says something about himself in chapter 10 of John, where he calls himself the Good Shepherd. In verses 11 through 14, Jesus said this, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees them He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. The the leaders of Israel, they had been these hired hands. They had been these hired shepherds that really did not really care about the people and the condition of the people. And so what's happening here in all of this is Jesus is proving the fact that he is a good shepherd. Jesus is a shepherd that has compassion for the sheep. And eventually he's going to give his life for the sheep. And this brings us to the second point about what Jesus provides. Jesus provides leadership. Leadership for the crowd and also for the disciples. What he's doing here, he's modeling something for the people of Israel and for his disciples to show them this is what a good shepherd looks like. This is what a good shepherd does, even on vacation. This was something that had been lacking in hundreds of years leading up to this point in this nation. And God had promised to send one that would be a shepherd for his people, a good shepherd. And this is where I want to take you to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34, in verses 1 through 24, it's a fairly lengthy passage, but it sets up this whole idea of what's happening here in Mark 6 give you a moment to, to get there. Be on page 676 of that hardback Bible. Listen to what God's word has to say. Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak, you have not strengthened. The sick, you have not healed. The injured, you have not bound up. The strayed, you have not brought back. The lost, you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely, because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. 
Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, and they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and all the inhabitants inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water? that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden down with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns. Do you have scattered them abroad? I will rescue my flock They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Jesus is that shepherd. He is that David that is mentioned here in Ezekiel. Jesus is this one that is prophesied about. He is the one that God has sent. He's the one that's going to take care of the sheep. He is the good shepherd. Because all these other shepherds, they are just hired hands. And they do not have compassion on the flock. And for you to be a good shepherd, you have to have compassion. And these men, they were lacking that. If you, if, you, if you don't love the flock, then you don't really care what happens to them, right? Jesus is giving his disciples and the people a right understanding of what a good leader, what a good shepherd looks like. It's one that has compassion for sheep, for people. And not only to have compassion for others, but, but the ones that are so close to you as well, to have compassion for them, how you should treat one another. These people are viewed as sheep. The, the Bible views us as sheep. Sheep are super needy. They need protection. They need someone to lead them to the right pasture, to the right water. They also need somebody to shear them. 
you know, if you don't shear a sheep, they can develop a number of problems, and one of those problems is death, which is pretty severe, because they can overheat. Now, people are super needy as well, aren't they? But what are we to do with super needy people? What should be our response to super needy people? Should we run from them? Should we get back in the boat, just sail to the other side, be like, no, I'm not doing that today. I am out of here. Like, I've had enough of sheep. Are we supposed to pass them off onto somebody else, which is what the disciples try to do with Jesus? Is, is that supposed to be our response to super needy individuals? And don't think that you're not one of them. Like we're all needy. All of us are super needy. I just proved to you this morning that I'm needy, right? Right? Did you catch that? Like, I'm insecure. I, I need help. I was being vulnerable and you just laughed at me. Um, never again. Uh, so, th- this is important. This is important for us to understand. We can't just pass people off because, well, they're just really needy. Jesus doesn't do that. He has compassion and he shows leadership by having this compassion of what he does here. And this leads us to the, to the third thing, of the, the next thing that happens in the story in verse 34 is that Jesus provides truth for these people. He provides truth. He has compassion. And what does his compassion lead him to do? Teach them. He has compassion, which leads to teaching truth. Look at verse 34 again. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. The first thing Jesus does is to teach, to teach many things. And and this is kind of the, the reoccurring theme through Mark of what Jesus is about. He's about teaching people truth. It's not just miracles. This story is not just about a miracle. It's about all of this behind, all this backstory of Ezekiel 34 of who Jesus is. And he's proving this by his actions. And one of his actions that would prove he is a good shepherd is that he is led by compassion to teach. And, and this, is, this is how we should look at this, is if you really do care and you really want people to succeed and be better and be healthy, you have to give them truth. And Jesus does that here. He teaches them something. But this is not, this is not like a good little pep talk and then moves on. He's not like just quoting like, ah, oh, Jeremiah 29, 11, and just walks on with his life it's like, you know, I'm really busy. I'm see you later. No, he takes time to give them truth. And this is essential, how we think and how we respond to people. It, it can't just be a quick, you know, coffee cup Bible verses that we throw at people, then move on with life. We need to spend time with them, giving truth to them. And this is really my intention when I stand to preach to you, is that I teach you something. And that you would leave here with a reminder of truth, with a reminder of God's word. And this will really be your expectation when you're listening to a sermon, to a teaching, that you actually learn something. So if your intention is to come and not learn, then why are you here? There's a lot better things to do, unless you can't find a better place to take a nap, than, than be here. Because this is a place where truth is expounded upon and shared and that you as a listener is not just passive in your listening but active in trying to be changed and different because of God's truth and word. And this, is, this should be your expectation and it is my expectation that you're taught something, that you leave here with something, that you're different when you leave here. 
And that should be your expectation with this that you're given. Now, the, the fourth thing that we find that Jesus provides is in verses 35 through 44, which is the, the most well-known part of all this, what Jesus provides, and that's food for people. The disciples' solution to this food shortage was what? Send them away. Right? Look at verse 36. They're like, ah, just, Jesus, it's late. Um, they really should go somewhere else. And they try to pass them off. Let, let them go to some other town, some other location. Let them go back to their house. Let them eat there. And it's kind of this idea of, you know, we don't really have the resource. We don't really have the structure to deal with this kind of crowd, this kind of issue. And too often, this is our thinking in the church, is that wow, we don't have the resources for that. We don't have the structure for that. We don't have the personnel for that. We don't have, right? We, we make excuses of why we can't do things. Now, notice the response of Jesus in verse 37, where basically he just says, you do it. Now, this is kind of a shock to the disciples because their rebuttal to that is, what, should we go and get like eight months of salary and pay for this crowd? Now, I don't know who did the math on that, but it's probably Judas over there, right? And like, uh, eight months, like, that's, that's a lot of money. We don't have that kind of money. We don't have that kind of resource. But Jesus sticks to his guns there. If you do something about this, why would Jesus say that? Do they have food? No. Do they have the money? No. What do they have? Well, if you remember back to verse 30, what were the apostles telling Jesus about? The power that had been given to them. And now, they've completely forgot. They've completely forgot about what they had been doing, doing the same work, the same ministry of Jesus. It's lost on them. They do not know. And now all they see is the impossibility of feeding this amount of people. They've forgotten about the supernatural, heavenly power that God had given them to do something about impossible situations And now they're like, well, just let somebody else handle it. If you look at verses 39 and 40, Jesus decides, okay, well, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to see what kind of food is out there. And then he commands the people to sit down on the green grass in groups of 50s and 100s. And these details are important because it points us back to who Jesus is in Ezekiel 34. In verses 14 and 15, where, again, it says, I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land there. They shall lie down in good grazing land on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. Isn't that exactly what Jesus does? And what I find really interesting about this, I did, I did youth ministry for... Um, about eight years total, and I've never had a moment where I said, okay, get into groups, and everybody just instantly did it. That never happens. Um, it, it's like herding cats, right? Or nailing jello to a tree. It's this kind of idea, like, this just doesn't happen. But with Jesus' words, he says, all right, split up into groups, 50s and 100s, and it seems to be they just did it. And this kind of paints the picture of sheep listening to the shepherd. And what do they do? They sit down, they lie down on this green grass. And this is all part of what Mark is writing into the story to help us see Jesus is that shepherd. 
in, in verse 23 of Ezekiel 34, it says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Jesus is that shepherd. Jesus is the one to lay down his life for these needy people. We are a needy people, aren't we? Our need was so great that there's, there's nothing we could do about it. We were just like these sheep that needed cheered. We needed somebody to, to do something about it. And God sends a shepherd, a good shepherd, born of a virgin that lives a perfect life that then goes to a Roman cross and dies innocent but for guilty people, needy people that have a sin problem that is so great that they can't see their way out of it. And Jesus does something not just miraculous on the cross but in the grave where he comes out of the grave three days later and he proves that his word is good and that he is victorious over sin, over death, over Satan and that if anybody would believe in him, you will be saved, as the Bible teaches us. He is the good shepherd. And it's only through Jesus which you can have this salvation. Because Jesus also teaches in the Gospel of John that he is the gate of the sheep pen. This is why John fourteen six makes a lot of sense when he says, It is only through me that you get to the Father. He is the shepherd, the good shepherd, that laid down his life for you to save you. Now notice at the end of the story, verse 43, that there are exactly 12 baskets left over. Now, when you think of a basket here, it's not like basket, but like basket, right? Small lunchbox size basket. Do you think there's any coincidence in this number? No. I, I find this truly amazing at the precision of Jesus' miracle that happens here. After he, he takes these five loaves, these two fish, he offers up thanks and he's just breaking out all of this food and it's being distributed by the disciples to this large, huge crowd of people. And then when they collect all this back up, there's 12 lunch boxes left over. Who else did not have food on this journey with Jesus across the lake? the 12 disciples. And Jesus is proving to them that he is a good shepherd to them as well. This is who our God is. He's one who does all things perfectly and precisely. He never wastes anything. He doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste resources. He doesn't waste food. He doesn't waste energy. He doesn't waste anything. There's never going to be anything in this universe that's going to be wasted by him. And that also would include evil things, suffering, pain. These are things that are not going to be wasted by God either. They will all serve a purpose. Because God is a precise God. He uses precision, and Jesus shows that right here. He is precise in how much food is to be left over. One final point that I want to make for you from this story really comes from John's account of this in chapter 6, 14 and 15. And it says this, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again 
to the mountain by himself. Now, why do they want to come and make him king? Well, it's because they had just seen true leadership. They'd just seen true compassion. They had heard the truth with their own ears from this man. And lastly, they'd been part of this massive miracle. The reason why they wanted to make him king was not because Jesus was exceptional at helping people share their lunches. That was, that's not what's happening here. And some people think this about this passage. Well, maybe they brought a sack lunch and Jesus just helped them to, to share it. You haven't read the story very well. Because these people would not try to make him king if that was, well, I don't know, you've got 20,000 people to share. Oh, maybe you can do that with the rest of the nation. Like, that, that's not what's happening. They were amazed that there was no food and then there was food. This is very reminiscent of what happens in Exodus, isn't it? Of God bringing manna from heaven to feed his people. They wanted to make him king because they saw something that nobody else had ever done This is why they wanted to take him. This is why they wanted to make him king. Now, with this story, and because I don't have a... No, I don't have any more time. Um, Let me just give you four application points from this that I think are important for us and how we should think about this and what we need to do. We have been given, in this story, a form to follow in Jesus Christ. We have been given an example of true leadership and of a good shepherd. And so let me give you four things that I think we need to do, that we we need to think. And the first is this, that we need to rest. It starts off with that of, hey, you've had a rough journey. Maybe that's been your week this week. You you just had a rough one. Take some rest. That's what Sunday should be for. It should be a time where you, you do find some rest. Now, some of us can't do that on Sunday. Some of us have jobs on Sunday that are just, it's required of us to work that day. So find another time that you can find rest. But what real rest is, is not getting away with your, your cell phone to scroll on some apps and play some video games or watch TV or, or do Sudoku puzzles or whatever, whatever you do. Um, it's to get away alone with God, to recharge with God, not to recharge with other things that don't actually charge you at all, but actually drain you. Social media is not helping you recharge. We need real rest. And so we need to get alone with God. A second thing that I think is helpful for us is that we need, to, we need to understand that we are to be compassionate. We are to be a compassionate people. Why? Because our shepherd is compassionate. If you're lacking compassion for people, and maybe you would be honest enough to admit that this morning, I would tell you this, start with prayer. Start praying about that and ask God this question. God, why, why am I just lacking compassion for maybe a certain person or group of people? And ask him that question very openly and honestly. God, why do I lack compassion for this person? Why do I lack compassion for these people? Now, when you do that, be prepared for the answer because he will answer you. And with that preparation comes a preparation for repentance because you're wrong. For not having compassion. He's going to reveal that to you of why you're lacking compassion. And you can't use the excuse, well, they're just hard people to love. Yeah, so are you. Every person that you've ever known has been a hard person to love. If you've ever had children, you know, sometimes like, boy. We all have the same problem. We're all needy. We're all sheep. But we are to be compassionate 
Compassion is the starting point for God-honoring ministry. If you don't have that and you're lacking that, start with prayer. A third thing in application is we should be willing to be inconvenienced. Notice here that Jesus doesn't say, "Uh, Peter, turn the boat. He doesn't say, not today, guys. We're not going to deal with that. No, he is willing to be inconvenienced and he shows his disciples it's okay. It's okay. Why is this? It's because your time is not your time, right? It's God's. And so use it for his purposes. I think whenever we, whenever we feel this anger and frustration about being inconvenienced, we believe, we wouldn't say this, but we believe in that moment that it's actually my time. Like, how dare you infringe upon my time? It's not yours. It's God's. And again, I think if you struggle with this constant feeling of being inconvenienced, pray about that. Ask God to answer you of why do you feel that way. And again, be willing to admit you're wrong and there needs to be repentance. The fourth thing, final thing I have for you this morning is this, is that we need to be involved in people's lives. And this is what happens with these disciples kind of unwillingly, but Jesus involves them in these people's lives that are so needy. Needy physically, but they're also needy, what, spiritually. Jesus doesn't pull back. He, he doesn't resist. He doesn't turn them away. He invites them. He has compassion on them, and he involves himself in their life. And again, this is what life groups helps us do. If you're not part of a life group, again, Think about that. Pray about that. And then why are you not part of one? Start inviting people over to your house that you haven't got the chance to know. And in all reality, it's not that you don't have time because we get in, we've already established it's not your time anyways. So you have the time because we all have the same amount of time. It's just what are we doing with it? So start inviting people to your house. Invite them out to lunch today. Invite them over for dinner tonight. Ice cream and cookies. I like vanilla and I like chocolate chip. Um, Sugar cookies are one of my favorites. Um, Invite somebody over. And I don't mean me. I mean, if you'd like me to come over, that's fine. Um, But other people that you've been in church with maybe for a decade or more and you don't even know these people. Shame on you. It's not the pastor's fault. It's not the staff's fault that you don't know that person. Whose fault is it? It is yours. Now, why have you not involved yourself with them? I think it roots back to compassion. Do you have compassion for them? Do you want to know what's going on in their life? I know, I know, I hear the excuse. Well, I'm just so busy. Unbusy yourself. Find rest. Find a place where you can debrief with other Christians, and you need to be proactive in that. Jesus tells his disciples, come away, get away, let's, let's debrief with, our, with ourselves, but prepare to be inconvenienced. Christian, this, is, this should be your mindset. Having compassion is going to drive you to allow yourself to be inconvenienced and to, to distribute your time into places that you didn't plan on doing that. 
I hope that this story that we have in front of us is not just one that, you know, makes for a good Sunday school hour uh, lesson that you tell kids and you give little cool little crackers and little uh, Swedish fish things to show them the example of what Jesus did. But you understand that Jesus is the good shepherd and he is your model to follow. And this is how you should think. This is how you should act. And this is my prayer for us, that we would act and live this way like Christ has shown us. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, I do thank you that the form that you have given us, the the example of Jesus Christ is, it's perfect. God, I thank you that you are, you are precise in what you do. You are not one to waste anything. God, there is not a single life in this room that is going to be wasted even though we do a really good job of wasting our time, of wasting our resource, of wasting our skills, of wasting our talents. God, in the end, it will not be wasted because of who you are. So Lord, I pray that we, we would not be a people that lack compassion. We would not be a people that, that act as that we're sheep without a shepherd because we have one and he's a good one. Lord, let us be encouraged this morning to live the life which you've called us into. That we would be different, our communities would be different because we have a compassion. We're willing to be inconvenienced. We know that we need to involve others into our life. We know that we need rest. So Lord, let those, those truths that we have this morning resound in our minds and our hearts that we would be changed. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand please?